now, this is Box to Box. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The king of storage moving animal. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football on Macquarie Radio NTS News Talk Sport. Yours, Rob Gilbert and Derek Dyson. Michael is still away. Michael Edgley for one more week and uh, Dino is uh, coaching down at the club. So uh, Derek has popped into the chair as opposed to being a guest in recent times. Looking forward to having Derek and uh, and it'll be a cathartic moment for him on a number of levels with his uh, his uh, Arsenal passions uh, on full display throughout the course of the next couple of hours. First edition news with Willem van Dender and Shorley, but with one of the most anticipated days in recent football memory coming up on Saturday night at Parramatta's Bankwest Stadium. We're really looking forward to chatting with Western Sydney Wanderers manager Marcus Bubble about the homecoming of a team who have been one of the great success stories of the A-League and not a moment too soon. We need them back in a stadium firing with the red and back block and uh, the passion that is the Wanderers. Then a special guest with the African Cup of Nations final on Saturday morning between Senegal and Algeria. We've dug deep into the African diaspora in Australia and found former Algerian and Australian representative Olympic athlete and now a key part of the setup at Kuji FC, Youssef Abdi, to give us a taste of what it's like watching his country, the country of his birth from afar. Then we're going to indulge Eric, as I said, with uh, uh, his passion for the Gunners, uh, 15 years on from Arsene Wenger's Invincibles. We're going to look at where Arsenal have come to uh, since those days and where to from here a decade and a half later. That'll be a very interesting conversation about one of the great clubs of international football in the second hour. As we always do, Willem will kick off with second edition news and the latest on Socceroos, Matildas and Pararoos Central. Uh, then with the Socceroos' first round opponents for the World Cup qualifying announced this week, a man who is always across all the international football. As I said earlier, he's a week away from coming back to the studio. Our very own Michael Edgley is going to break down the uh, the first phase of qualification for the Socceroos. Then just three weeks out from the first of the big European competitions kicking off, Derek, Willem and I are going to take a look at the major competitions and how they're shaping and we'll wrap it up with stoppage time. So, Derek, um, it's... Uh, a, uh, a moment um, of football in your footballing journey uh, that um, I guess you probably never thought would happen to, to talk uh, openly about your passion for your club as well as um, a man who you would have considered an enemy as a young man uh, when uh, the Gunners were playing uh, the Reds at um, the Millennium Stadium in that FA Cup final all those years ago. Yes, well, firstly, I should just say it's a pleasure to be here and to be sat in the in the hot seat, and <laughs> you know, plenty of good people been sat here. Um, so great to be talking to you. Yes, uh, t- coming up with um, Marcus Babel, I've got a few bones to pick with him, but I think the one <laughs> I will pick is the 2001 FA Cup final. He, of course, broke my heart in 1996 when England beat were a lot were beaten by Germany in that dramatic game in Euro 96 and he was on the pitch as well but uh, I think we're going to talk about that FA Cup final Yeah, absolutely, well it'll be a lot of fun mate, so uh, looking forward to it and obviously also we're going to um, sort of uh, pick the uh, entrails through um, Arsenal's last uh, uh, 15 or so years, but there's positive I mean it's not like all is lost, so there's there's a lot to look forward to with the goodness, so we'll have a good yarn about that. So Willem, um, you got plenty for us mate. Um, I do indeed uh, Rob Your lead item uh, the Socceroos will face Jordan, Nepal, Kuwait and Chinese Taipei in the second round of qualifying for the 2022 World Cup. 
The matches double as the first round of Asian Cup 2023 qualifiers and will take place from September this year until June 2020. So Jordan looms as the major challenge there, Rob, especially away. But as we know, following the Socceroos through these qualifying campaigns, there's potential banana skins everywhere. Yeah, there sure are. And derbies um, are plenty. And I know Edge is really excited about a bunch of those. But uh, the... Um yeah, the the Nepalese one. I know Derek had a couple of um, lines up his sleeve uh, that um, you were you were sort of road testing on, um, you know, mountains to climb and yeah. uh, will, will it be it... their Everest? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> boom tish. The next chief executive of the FFA looks set to be sourced from within the Australian football community. The FFA board are said to agree an established career in football is a prerequisite for the job. Plenty of candidates have been thrown up, although no formal applications have been lodged. I think it's about time someone from within the game was in the hot seat, Rob. Australian football is such a complex beast mm. uh, for those within the game, let mm. alone someone outside coming in oh, look, I think it's show. imperative. I know we talked about with this with Edge last week and he was uh, breaking down the potential for a non-football person with the right qualifications, but uh, I just don't think you can handicap somebody um, coming into a hot seat like this. Uh, uh, David Gallup um, has uh, has not covered himself in glory in his time with the FFA, Uh he um, he goes out um, well. Tony Sage during the course of the week gave him one out of ten. So uh, you know it's all well and good for for observers like me to to be critical of David Gallup. But when one of the owners of the uh, of one of the major uh, clubs, the champions of the league, is is slamming the uh, outgoing CEO like that, then uh, that's a uh, an indictment on the way the game's been run in recent times. So yeah, I think uh, it's fundamental for the future of football in Australia as we re-embrace our cultural heritage that. Um, we have a, um, a a football person running the show. Certainly is well said. As you mentioned off the top, Western Sydney Wanderers will play their first match at their new home in Parramatta on Saturday night. They will host a lead side who were beaten 4-0 by Manchester United in Perth. But this is all about the home side, it is it, Rob? We've been waiting so long. They've been saying, wait till we get back to Para after every problem yeah. they've faced. And yeah. um, we'll have Marcus Babylon later, but this is a really yeah. exciting time yeah. for the Wanderers. Yeah. No, it's, it sure is. Well, uh, no, no, just, yeah. What are you playing there? Of course, the Nepalese uh, tribute song. All right, well, listen, that's a short opener for us because we've got so much ahead. So stick around. Marcus Babel, Yusuf Abdi on Algeria. We're going to talk Arsenal, but you've got to stack more stuff. And Nigel with his corny music selections uh, will probably surprise us in the next hour as well. So stick around. It's a big show on Box to Box. Box to Box. The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The king of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, welcome back to Box to Box. And uh, this is a, a conversation we've been waiting a long, long time to have. The Western Sydney Wanderers, when they joined the A-League um, all those years ago, came with a bang. The the red and black block, the colour, the excitement, the victories under Tony Popovich um, in the Asian Cup. But uh, they've been the wandering minstrels over the last few years. And even though the Bankwest Stadium in Parramatta has already opened uh, and uh, has had um, the Parramatta Eels playing there, Saturday night is the... Uh, the return of football to to that great precinct, and uh, we're very much excited to welcome uh, Wanderers manager Marcus Babble to Box to Box to have a yarn about the the game against Leeds. Uh, thanks for coming on, Marcus. No problem. Good evening. Yeah. So uh, so you 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 came to the club in 2018, but you obviously knew of uh, of of just that background history. Uh, you know, it, was the was the the uh, expectation that that there was a a brand new state of the art stadium. Uh, you know, not too far away, a, a real uh, um, carrot for you to 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 come to the Wanderers. 
Yeah, of course, this is uh, a very important uh, thing for the club, for the supporters, for us players, coaches, because yeah, the last season or the season before was even not only easy for 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 the for the players, was also not easy for the supporters to bring an atmosphere in the stadium. Because if you play in a in a big stadium like the End Stadium uh, with eighty, ninety thousand seats and uh, yeah, 20,000 people are coming, so this is not a real atmosphere. Also, in the spotless where we played, so you sit very far away from the from the pitch. Mm-hmm. And, and now it's totally different. Now we're talking about a, a top stadium, uh, yes. European style, yes. uh, it's fantastic. Also, we have a new training ground uh, where we moved in this this season, and uh, yeah, at the moment uh, our our facilities are, are Champions League. And you yourself capped 51 times for the uh, Die Mannschaft to the German national side. Uh, you know, golden history, 355 games in in the top flight from Bayern, Hamburg, um, Liverpool, of course, in, in some of those golden years. Uh, went out to Blackburn on Roval, uh, on loan and, and Stuttgart before uh, your managerial career. So, so to, to, to have uh, in your hands, uh, you know, the, the future of, of what we hope will uh, will will be one of the uh, the great Australian clubs uh, in 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 a brand new stadium against Leeds on Saturday night, um, who have a, an amazing Australian pedigree uh, with close to a full house. It's it's going to be a big night. Yeah, of course. Um, I'm really looking forward because this is also a, a present for for our fantastic supporters. There, they were always there. They're always well. They had a had a good time uh, with the win the, the Champions League, but also. Uh, now we went to to a, a deep period, um, very hard period uh, without success. Uh, went away from from the from the home ground, uh, so we had to to move to to other stadiums. So we had not a, a real home, and, and and now we are back, top soccer stadium, uh, perfect. Uh, 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 home and uh, also for our supporters is a, is a big thing. It's not only for for us. I'm very excited. Today I was in the stadium, and this is really amazing. Uh, and, but also um, looking forward for our supporters because uh, they, they, they need a home. They, they, they need a, a point. Um, yeah, where they know okay, Saturday or Sunday, hey, this is a home game. We are in the stadium. We support the Western Sydney Wanderers, and then it's up to us to to perform in the stadium. Um, I hope. We'll have the the twelve men on our side because um, yeah the the crowds will come and then it's up to us to perform. Parker, obviously um, you're familiar with Leeds United from your own playing days and clearly they've not had the the best of times in recent years and it'll be great for the supporters to see those players. Leeds are uh, a club sort of draped in Australian football history, but how much are you relishing uh, coming up against Bielsa? Obviously a celebrated. Manager, how much respect for him do you have, and and will you be looking to to learn a thing or two from him uh, on the night? Yeah, first of all, it's, it's a fantastic challenge for us to to play against a, a European because not so many Europeans come into to Australia because about the distance in the preseason is it's not so easy for them to to come to Australia. But Leeds is coming, so we are really looking forward. We really appreciate this that we can play against a, a team like like Leeds United. It's a massive club. I had the luck in my time uh, with Liverpool. I, I could play against them. They were very strong, very strong sides. Then they had a bad period, really struggling in the championship. Uh, but now, since Bielsa is back uh, in the club, so the uh, last season, very unlucky that they're not coming uh, in the, in the 
Premier League. In the end, so they, they had no power anymore, but uh, they played a good, really good style of football. And even now, uh, I saw them against Man United. Of course, they lost 4-0, but if you watch the the, the game 90 minutes uh, properly, so they, they had chances to, to score easily two three goals. But you could see, okay, they're a bit tired from the traveling, maybe a bit jet lag in the, in the legs. But even after 20 minutes, they were there. And, uh, for me, very. I was surprised how good they were playing. There was a, a good style of football, fast, quick, strong, good technique. So that would, will be a, a massive challenge for us to to get a result against them. And also thinking about the players as well, can you see a an extra spring in their step during you know the the preparations for this game? Are are they looking forward to it and relishing the challenge of coming toe to toe with some of these uh, Leeds United players? place this is a, is, a, is a big challenge because we have many many young players in our squad uh, I think the half team is <laughs> under 21 so and, and their dream is to come to Europe and now you see what's going on in Europe so this is is a top uh, championship team uh, they nearly got relegated to the to the Premier League is a is a massive club um, have a fantastic coach uh, very, uh, really looking forward to met him because I had luck in my, my career to meet many great coaches, but he is also one of them. Um, he's not still at the moment not on my list. Uh, really looking forward to shake his hand on, on on Saturday. But it's a great challenge, especially for our young players. Uh, they see now where they are, so what they what they have to do to come on, on a level like uh, the players are from from Leeds United. I'm a little upset that uh, Alioski is not with the team. He's, he's injured because. Um, he also was playing in, in Switzerland if I was there. Mm. And uh, I wanted to take him to, to Luzern, but uh, <laughs> our, our scout said ah, he's, not, he's not this good. And uh, it shows me I had a good eye if yes. he was good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport. We're talking to uh, German footballing legend Marcus Babel Gaffer at uh, the Western Sydney Wanderers. And you mentioned um, you've got a great young team, but you've got some great new signings. Daniel Georgievski's come to the club. Uh, Pierman Schwegler, Daniel Lopar, Radoslav Majewski and uh, Dylan McGowan amongst uh, uh, what's already a, 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 a strong lineup. who, you know, d- disappointed last season, um, missing out on the uh, the finals uh, and are pretty convincingly you know, sort of flattered to deceive at different times. And the best of form that we saw the Wanderers last uh, season will, uh, you know, we're, we're still a couple of months away from, from the, the coming A-League season, but, but moving into the new stadium and with these new signings and the core of uh, of last uh, season's team, uh, you must have some pretty big expectations for what you're going to do at, at the return to uh, um, the the spiritual home of, of the club. Yeah, definitely. Uh, last season was, uh, yeah, I think for, for the whole club uh, supporters, us uh, very disappointed. Um, but the team wasn't better than than we finished. So mm. it's very simple because. Uh, we had the chance to, to finish under the first six teams, but we couldn't take it. So it has something to do with the mentality, has something to do with quality. Um, and we had not the, the 100% top team spirit in the team. Um, so there were many little things who, yeah, who doesn't help us to, to have success. And uh, I have the feeling this season is different. So especially our young players, they start on a different level. So this is the only positive thing about the last season. So the, the, the young ones they improved. So we start on a different level now. Our training quality is is better than last season. And yeah, of course we, we I think we have we signed good players. 
top top pro uh, pros, um, not even good footballers, also uh, top persons. And this mm. is what we need. We need we need players who want to play for Western Sydney Wanderers, and, yeah. and all of them they really wanted to come to us. They were not looking for five dollars more or less. This is this was not never ever. Uh, uh, um, uh, talk about them. So they wanted to come to us, not because Sydney is a beautiful city, we have a great lifestyle here. No, they wanted to play, come to Western Sydney once and to have success. And these are the players where we are looking for. And yeah, maybe we have luck. We can want to play uh, more in our team, but I'm looking for this kind of players because uh, all the other things we don't need it. Now, Rob, I've actually got a bit of a bone to pick with Marcus um, mm-hmm. because we were talking just before we joined about the great Liverpool team that uh, he was in in the early 2000s. And Marcus was actually culpable in one of the worst days of my life as a football fan, as an Arsenal fan. And Marcus probably knows what I'm going to talk about, <laughs> which was the uh, 2001 FA Cup final, which was in Cardiff for the first time while they were yeah. rebuilding Wembley Stadium. I was at the game in the Arsenal end. Uh, I was doing my exams at school, but my mum gave me permission to go to Cardiff with my dad to watch the game. And what I expected, Arsenal were very dominant at the time, to win. Um, we were winning 1-0, dominating the game. Uh, by and, uh, and then Michael Owen scored two goals. Uh, and I just had to remind myself that there was a M babble in the Liverpool team alongside Hapier and Honcho and Carragher. Um, Marcus, how fondly do you, I mean, I don't remember this game fondly at all. How fondly do you remember that game in particular? Um, very good. Uh, I don't know <laughs> why, but it is still in, in my members um, because uh, you said it right. We had <laughs> no chance. Uh, Arsenal was dominating us. And uh, I think why I remember me is it was very hot on this day. And uh, I hated to play or had big problems to play in the heat. So uh, I had only luck that Robert Pierre, Robert Pierre, he had the same problems like me. So we were talking to each other. If you don't hurt me, I don't hurt you. So <laughs> we were just standing around and watched the game. And then, of course, then uh, was the, the corner. And uh, I had so much luck. I won the header against Tony Adams. And uh, the ball comes to Michael and he scored the equalizer. And then I was only thinking, oh, no, uh, overtime. I'm so tired, I can't <laughs> run anymore. And then uh, I never saw this before uh, on, on this level, uh, corner for, for Arsenal London, and we have a counter-attack and, and scored the second goal. And it was unbelievable because um, you have this big success, but you can't celebrate because three days later we had the, the European League final against Alades. Uh, we won it, uh, but even there we couldn't celebrate because three days later we played against Charlton Athletic to finish on the third place in the league to qualify for the Champions League. But then, uh, yeah, then we had a good celebration. Yeah, yeah, eventually you did. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for recounting that. I feel like my demons have been exercised a little there. I did pass my exams, by the way, so <laughs> all, wasn't, all wasn't lost. And I think we won the FA Cup final the next two seasons after that, so it wasn't all bad at all. And also the stadium in Cardiff, it was amazing. It was uh, an unbelievable atmosphere in the stadium. Uh, I, I prefer the, the Cardiff stadium to the new Wembley one. And the old Wembley, of course, they was, they was special. But the new Wembley is yeah, it's, it's nice. But uh, Cardiff was, for me, something special. Um, and, uh, yeah, um, if you win the FA Cup, this is, uh, yeah, this is the, the oldest trophy, what, what you can win. And 
Yeah, of course, the Cardiff Stadium is a rugby stadium, so the uh, the, the the fans are quite close to the pitch. So you'll probably remember yeah. this, Marcus. Like you can almost have a conversation with somebody on the touchline, and they're and it's the banking's quite steep, so it feels yeah. like the entire stadium is on top of you. Whereas if you're right at Wembley and actually at some of the other modern stadia, the the crowd feel quite far away. Um, so no, mm. it is it is. I was very lucky. I saw three FA Cup finals there and. We won two of them, um, and, and well, yeah. it's, it's not too bad. Then right. you can give one one to me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Marcus, um, we we hope you you have a, a long and successful future in Australian football. Uh, there's a lot of change uh, in uh, the wind in the game in this country, uh, uh, certainly administratively, but uh, the, the country is going to embrace its cultural heritage once again after. Uh, uh, the mistakes of the past uh, uh, where the baby was effectively thrown out with the bathwater when the A-League started. So uh, uh, those of us who have deep roots in, in the cultural uh, history of this country and know that football uh, uh, comes from so many areas of the world uh, are looking forward to, to seeing the shape of football in the future and uh, the Wanderers at that beautiful new stadium um, under uh, a man with your pedigree um, are certainly um, primed to, to be one of the spearheads of, of that growth. So we wish you all the best. Uh, Saturday night, we hope you have a great um, a great result, and um, and uh, we say I'll uh, wieder to you, uh, Marcus. Uh, until next time. Thank you very much for having me, and uh, yeah, all the best for your show. Thank you very much. Thank you, Marcus. Baba. What a privilege to talk to a legend on any level of, of international football on our program ahead of the uh, the football opener at uh, the Bankwest Stadium on Saturday night, where the Western Sydney Wanderers will play Leeds. We're going to. Uh, head all over the world in, in this conversation uh, the next conversation I should say because uh, the African Cup of Nations final is on Saturday morning and uh, we found a, a gentleman uh, who represented Australia in the Olympics but born and bred in Algeria Yusuf Abdi, he plays for Kuji in uh, in Sydney and uh, we're going to have a yarn to Kuji to Yusuf about uh, what um, the African Cup of Nations final means to Algeria ahead of their final against Senegal, that's next on Box to Box Box to Box the Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the king of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal this of all. The box, the box, and with the big African Cup of Nations final between Algeria and Senegal coming up on Saturday morning, as we like to do from time to time on Box to Box, we search the uh, the diaspora of immigrants from uh, various countries around the world, and uh, and we found a, a, a an Australian who represented Australia in the uh, the Olympics on two separate occasions, born in Algeria, moved to Australia after the 1996 Junior World Championships, were, which were in Sydney at the time. He's living in Sydney and playing for Kuji FC. Yusuf Abdi, welcome to Box to Box. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So, Yusuf, you've been in Australia for, for many years now. Um, Australia is your home, but uh, the, the country of your birth uh, as a young man, uh, it, it must be exciting times to... Uh, to, to uh, see how how well Algeria have done in in this current tournament, so so to be watching uh, from uh, from uh, so far away, uh, do, do, do the heartstrings pull a little? Yes, definitely. In fact, I um, I have been following most of the games, and uh, my first introduction to to football was actually uh, uh, as a young kid. Uh, I remember in 1990 they had the um, uh, the tournament um, hosted by Algeria. Uh, and uh, obviously, I was my dad was watching. Everyone yes. else in the family was watching. So I was forced to watch because that was the only TV channel we had. Um, and since then, my love for um, 
the, the game uh, just 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 grow, uh, and it was uh, obviously um, uh, exciting because Algeria won um, the title that year, uh, and for a country like Algeria, and I imagine for any African or, or any country in the world, I guess when they win a uh, major title or cup, it's always uh, a, a big thing. Yeah, exactly. So you know the famous names of the time, Rabah Majer in particular, uh, the uh, the win one nil against uh, Nigeria back then in Algiers um, was a famous moment for Algeria. And, and Algeria's got a wonderful uh, pedigree in the World Cup, uh, qualifying on four separate occasions, making the, the quarterfinals at least once. And, and your uh, personal pedigree... Uh, uh, continues in football. You play for uh, for Kuji FC, who I see on the the website are, are um, known as the the Liverpool of Australia, which is a pretty big rap for um, the beachside club. <laughs> yeah, well, um, I have been um, obviously doing athletics um, uh, most of my my life, um, and uh, when I retired, I uh, didn't want to keep running because you know I just did it for um, so many years. It was quite intense. Uh, I was just searching for. Uh, 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 another way of keeping fit, and uh, and that's how I kind of went back to playing football because I felt like I, I missed so many years, and in my heart I missed it so much. And after retiring, retiring from athletics, I thought, oh, wow, this is my my chance to actually play. So uh, I went to Could um, United. I, I I did the trials, and uh, <laughs> they uh, they signed me up. Beautiful. So yeah. One player, uh, Yusuf, that must be an inspiration to you and, and many uh, is uh, Riyad Mahrez. Um, can can we even understand how big a uh, hero he is back in Algeria? And maybe could you set the scene when that free kick went in in the last game and what, what the reaction would have been back at home? Oh, you know, Mahrez is, is, a, is a great player. Uh, he plays for Manchester City. Uh, he's, he's a huge star in, in, in Algeria. Uh, and um, uh, that, that game itself against uh, Nigeria, uh, that free kick was just uh, amazing. And I've been following the news and, and always chatting with my brother who lives in France and, and have a few friends as well that they, uh, they watch the game at the same time. So even though it's, uh, we have you know huge time difference, but we, we kind of communicate through WhatsApp uh, as we are watching the game. Um, and uh, it was just an amazing moment because uh, any game when someone scores in those last few seconds, uh, it's just, uh, you know, incredible. You've got um, a whole nation. And, and also with Algeria, there's a, a huge population or community that lives in France. So it's almost you have these two countries going for, for one team. Um, and yeah, it's just uh, an amazing feeling. And to be honest, I couldn't I couldn't believe it um, how he scored in that you know the last few seconds. Our listeners are probably you know familiar with with Mares and maybe with players like Slimani, for example, who we know from Premier League football. But who would you say are the other players um, that that people should look out for in this team that that we're maybe not so familiar with? I think. Uh, Obviously, Mares and, and Slimani, you know, they can score at any time. But um, uh, you've got uh, Adam Ernest as well. He plays in, in Napoli. Uh, but then as a team, as a collective, I think they are such a, a solid unit, uh, not disrespecting Senegal. Uh, but I think, yeah, they, they, they are a solid unit. And, and they all contribute to, um, uh, with one way or another uh, to make that, that team great. 
and back home, they just have a massive support. Uh, and uh, in fact, I've heard that uh, the government just sent a few planes to uh, to uh, to uh, the final, so they have a little bit of a, of a crowd to uh, to cheer them on. This is Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport. We're talking to Yusuf Abdi. Uh, Algerian expat ahead of the African Cup of Nations final against uh, Senegal on Saturday morning five. It is uh, actually five a.m. Oh, time. Yes, of course, our time. So obviously Senegal with uh, Sadio Mane. There was uh, all the hype around uh, Mo Salah, who's been the uh, the African Player of the Year for the past two years. Uh, the finals in Cairo. Uh, obviously the Egyptians hoping that um, that he would uh, lead his country. But uh, but as uh, you and, uh, and Derek have uh, been speaking about now. He and uh, and Sadio Mane have, have stolen the show, so um, it's it's going to be a, a just a great uh, match, an entertaining match. There's something about African football that uh, that uh, that just drips with the joy of the game. Yeah, yeah, I'm actually very uh, excited. I'm uh, I'm waking up obviously to watch the game, uh, and um, my. My prediction it will be a very close game because uh, Senegal they they are a great team. Mm. I know they lost against Algeria in, in the um, um, uh, first game. I believe it was only one nil. But uh, when you look at the stats, uh, it's very hard to uh, to pick a winner. Obviously, I will go for Algeria because I'm I'm from Algeria. Uh, but I really think it will be a, a, a tough game. Well, I still famously remember uh, back in 2002 after um, when France were, were defending their World Cup, the opening match of uh, the 2002 World Cup where, where Senegal beat France 1-0. Um, I think that's really what put Senegalese football on the map uh, for the rest of the world. And uh, the, uh, you know, the... the, the Expectation is that this is going to be a game that um, that will will be uh, competitive from start to finish. So, uh, what's the uh, the expectation around Algeria that you know of from from your your um, family and friends? Uh, 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 is is there uh, a, 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 an air of confidence around the team going into it, the final? Um, at the moment, Al- Al- Algeria or the Algerians are, are so confident and uh, they have been celebrating. I've been following closely on social media. So each time they win a game, they just go out to the streets, mm. whether it's in Algiers or, or even in Paris. Um, and um, they just, they, they believe they will go all the way, mm. um, which they are in the final now. But um, uh, there is this uh, strong belief that this team uh, can actually win, win the cup. Um, I know the last we we always had you know good teams, but uh, I guess sometimes politically and socially um, things um, they don't always go great in Algeria, and, and one way or another it does affect the uh, football national team. Uh, but this time, I think this team can actually um, win win the title. Yusuf, do you think that uh, Algeria would prefer to play Senegal as opposed to the, uh, the other opponents that they could have faced Tunisia? Tunisia obviously would have been a very different game in terms of, you know, not just the geography um, and the rivalry there, but also North African teams traditionally playing a, a similar style of football. It's normally quite tactical, almost, you know, with the influence of, of Europe and the uh, sub-Saharan African teams sort of playing a, a more energetic uh, frenetic kind of game, I suppose. You think overall they'd be preferring to play Senegal? My personal opinion, I think they they rather um, Senegal uh, because obviously it's two different styles. And uh, with Senegal, they're a great team as well, and sometimes they're they're unpredictable. Uh, but as I said, Algeria as a, a unit are actually quite 
strong. And uh, in my opinion, for this particular game, I think it will work um, to their favour, which is if they played someone from the North African countries, such as Morocco or Tunisia, or even um, if, if Egypt made it to the final, it will be a harder game for them because they, they play you know, similar styles. So even to adopt a particular tactic for the game will be uh, incredible, incredibly difficult. Um, so I think this game, even for Senegal, it will be the same. It, it will be an open game for, for both teams. Uh, and I think both teams will actually rather prefer that they are in the final, not, not facing a, a team from, you know, their neighbouring country. Uh, and I just think it will be a mouth-watering final. A mouth-watering final. Well, we hope it will be, Youssef, and we hope uh, you enjoy it, mate, um, with your young son who's probably got, uh, you know, sort of uh, divided loyalties between um, the country of his birth and uh, and uh, the country of his pedigree. We all know that, uh, that um, you can take um, someone from their country and move to another part of the world, but there's always that, um, that, that part of you that uh, remembers... Um, your, your your home country um, with fondness and uh, and the joy that a, a win would bring Algeria and of course Senegal I'm sure uh, the uh, those of our Senegalese listeners out there <laughs> would be saying hey what about us but um, but we uh, we wish you luck and uh, and and enjoy the the, the final Yusuf and uh, and thank you very much for joining us on Box to Box. Great, thanks for having me. Not at all, Yusuf Abdi, former representative uh, for Australia in uh, in two Olympics uh, and uh, an Algerian expat. He plays for Kuji FC in the over 35s and um, he uh, is a, a very proud Australian but also a proud uh, Algerian expat. So wonderful to chat to, to Yusuf there. All right, well, uh, we are going to move um, to uh, the country of Derek's birth after the break and uh, the, the frustrating 15 years that have been uh, subsequent to the mighty Invincibles. Um, we're going to reflect on those, Derek, and uh, we're going to assuage your pain here and uh, and let you get it all out, mate. Yeah, I think it sounds like it's going to be very therapeutic <laughs> and uh, my, my time in the studio is well-timed well with what's going on at the club. Precisely. All right, well, that's after the break on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The king of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal this of This is Box to Box on ETS. It's been a great first hour. Talking to Marcus Babel and then Yusuf Abdi. And now we're going to put Derek under the spotlight. Um, it's 15 years since Arsene Wenger led the mighty Invincibles to a... Uh, um, an undefeated season in the Premier League. Uh, all those years ago, I think it would have been reasonable to think that there was a, a period of glory beckoning that uh, Arsenal would just uh, uh, ride uh, that wave to uh, to uh, titles um, domestically and across Europe. But uh, it didn't happen, did it, Derek? Um, it, there were FA Cup finals, as you reflected on with, uh, with Marcus, but... Um, the expectation of, of dominance just just uh, gradually uh, fizzled out. Um, so all these years later, you know, Emery, um, he's uh, not quite uh, been embraced um, at the club. Uh, uh, Laurent Koscielny is, um, you know, uh, somewhat of a mutiny there. Uh, mate, look, what's going on at Arsenal, Derek? Tell us. Well, yeah, you're right. Um, it's 15 years seems like a long time now since the Invincible season. We were, of course, playing at Highbury under mm, Arsene mm. Wenger. And, yeah, when you're a fan during an unprecedented um, run of success, you don't see the end in sight. And it's amazing mm. how the end creeps up on you. Mm. Arsenal um, then moves stadium. 
Uh, you had the kind of money coming into the Premier League from, you mm. know, Chelsea, Manchester City, became a lot more competitive to compete in the Premier League while you were um, paying off the debt for a new stadium. But uh, Arsenal stayed in touch with Champions League football and reached a Champions League final. But um, obviously with the moving on of Wenger just over a year ago now, we're one year into the Emery period and actually it's been a pretty tough week or so for Arsenal um, on and off the pitch, on the pitch to beat Bayern Munich last night. And I'm sure the club will be relieved to have something positive to talk about. But obviously the situation with Lauren Kachelny and also the um, the fan the fan action has been something of a concern for them. So the fan action, tell us a bit more about that. So um, about, uh, I think, about 14 or so influential Arsenal supporters groups and bloggers. And let's not underestimate when we say bloggers, they're very mm. influential. They yeah, have, yeah, no, we've had uh, you know, Ask Blog on. Um, oh, yeah, us, Andrew. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah, so our Andrew was one of the, was one of the sig- signatories. Um, and basically they wrote an open letter to Arsenal um, and really attacking the Cronky regime. It was a very erudite um, letter. It was very far away from the Arsenal fan TV kind of uh, lunacy that we see, but it made some very cutting points about uh, Arsenal being effectively used as an investment vehicle by the Americans that they uh, have made poor appointments um, sort of in the, the boardroom and in that kind of area that they weren't investing in the club. They didn't seem to care. Um, and it was pretty, it was pretty, uh, pretty cutting um, that they actually reacted and responded, um, mm. which is the first time they've actually done that. And I think, you know, if I was director of comms at Arsenal, I would have been saying we need to say something. And mm. then Josh Kroenke came out and made a very um, pointed response that picked up on some of those points. So, you know, we're kind of at a stage now where the fans have said what they wanted to say. They've responded. And really, it's like the Cold War, so mm. to speak. Derek, you mentioned the lunacy around some of the fan groups, including probably the most prominent is Arsenal TV. Now, we love the passion of supporters in sport, but do you think that helps the club in any way? Or do you think it's more of a burden because there are some extremely passionate people that appear on those, those sort of fan blogs? Oh, look, I think football fans are what make uh, English football. I think it's what draws people here in Australia towards the English game or anywhere around the world because when they're watching it on TV and they're listening to the crowds and whether it be the cops singing or, uh, you know, some of the atmospheres in the other grounds, that's what people are looking for. But obviously, um, Arsenal fan TV is kind of, uh, tolerated and ridiculed in some mm-hmm. way and other fans of other teams absolutely love it because they think it's hilarious but I think as a club you've got to listen to all cross sections of the fans yep. you know I'm not an uh, Arsenal fan TV person and I'm not going to go on there and rant and rave but you can also sense from talking to me that I'm I'm not happy uh, as well because Arsenal haven't performed for over a decade and this is a club that has lofty aspirations so um you're right i don't think it helps the club but i mean that comes part and parcel with being a big team i think and back on the pitch we saw when sir alex ferguson left manchester united his replacement david moyes essentially threw out the entire backroom staff and said mm. i'm going to do this my own way uh we've seen you know emery replace uh, arsene wenger how do you think he's gone about has he gone down a similar path or has he kept a few of the people around that could that can help him go forward? Well, one of the things that the Arsenal supporters letter picked up was that they thought that the club lacked what they called Arsenal DNA. And what they meant by that was former players. And one of the big criticisms of the club has been talking about that Invincibles period has been that they haven't retained the Tony Adams, the Sol Campbells, the Patrick Vieira has been allowed to go to Manchester City and then manage in the US and, and then in France, Thierry Henry. Um, but the um, 
the the response from Arsenal I thought was actually quite fair. Per Medsaka is still head of the academy and he's very respected in the game. Um, Edu has been brought in as this kind of director of football, so he was part of the Invincibles, a Brazilian player. Didn't have a long career at Arsenal, but was part of that midfield that that, that dominated. Uh, and obviously Steve Bold has been retained to as Arsenal's number two. But interestingly, Freddie Lundberg has been promoted to be uh, Unai Emery's assistant manager, who's been doing some very good work with the youth team. And him and Bold have swapped. And I think that could be a sign now of Arsenal maybe looking towards the youth team because they don't have the budgets to spend anymore. The uh, missing out on the Champions League last season was mm. a disaster for the club. And uh, I mean, given where they were in the league table, you know, it was a disaster. So I think, you know, I think they have retained enough and, and I don't think it's enough time, Emery, to, to have a, a right go at it yet. So I haven't lost faith. So uh, the, what's the situation with Laurent Koscielny? He refused to travel um, uh, with the uh, the rest of the team be- until his future was sorted out. Uh, um, is, is that a, a, an indication of, of the, the culture that's going on in the, in the rest of the place from from afar? I think it can only be seen as that. Now, one thing I should emphasise is most Arsenal fans, I'd say nearly all, were completely shocked by what happened with Florin Kachelny. Mm. He was seen as a real Arsenal man. He's been there for over a decade. He's the longest serving player in the mm. squad, the captain. Mm. You guys have watched him. He's a wholehearted competitor on the pitch. So of all the players that was going to do this, he probably would have been right down the bottom of mm. my list. So it does say to me that there's something a bit rotten between a uh, disconnect between the players and the board and the players mm. and the management. And I know that Arsenal and Unai Emery were incredibly disappointed. At the end of the day, the guy's still got a contract at Arsenal. He's a highly paid player. He's the club captain. Even Paul Pogba's out playing for United mm. and Perth. And he's even more unhappy right now so like, we're all just flabbergasted by it and disappointed yeah so um so how do you wrap this up um we, we've sort of reflected on the the decline of the great club uh, but it's still a great club it's still one of the the great brands of football around the world and um and has an incredibly passionate uh, and diverse and, and and large supporter base uh, so uh, you know obviously all is not lost uh, uh, the um the Emery um, era has has barely begun, so uh, w- let's be positive and mm-hmm. uh, and, and to talk about uh, what needs to happen in the in the coming season for uh, for the the rebuild to to um, to continue. Yes, look, I I think it's always uh, important to have context when you follow your football team. Arsenal are still a fantastic club. When we look at other teams that get relegated, don't play European mm, football, mm. when we look at what we've won, even in the fallow years. So I never lose perspective um, on that. What do Arsenal need to do short term? They need a few quick fixes. Um, so they're not going to solve this problem in a season or in a transfer window. So they need to go out and find um, affordable players that are going to come in and maybe Unai Emery can eke as much ability out of them as possible and then maybe bring in some of the promising youth players. Eddie Nketiah scored last night against Bayern Munich, a dream Mm. situation for him. Long term, Arsenal needs to figure out what its identity is. It needs to go back in the Champions League and unlock that that money Mm. and start becoming a club that players want to play for again. As an Arsenal fan, when Tottenham are sniffing around the signings that we want to make, um, that just shows how far it's come it used to be the Mm. other way around so we've got a lot of work to do well Derek 
um, you've had your say, come off the, well, the medium run. You know, you're not, you're not a man who sort of uh, rants and raves, but um, you make your points in a pointed fashion. So uh, that's Arsenal. Hopefully um, you'll be in and out throughout the season. Uh, you'll get some good times, mate. So... Thank you very much. Yes, I found it, again, very cathartic, like speaking <laughs> with Marcus Babel and getting that off my chest as well. Um, yeah, it's always, good to, talk, it's always good to talk it out. Thank Beauty, you. Mate. All right, we'll stick around because uh, the um, the next hour is going to be full of uh, football, as it always is. Michael Edgley is in Bangkok. We're going to talk about the eighth. C draw, um, a pretty favourable draw for the Socceroos. Uh, we're going to uh, preview the European competitions coming up. That is all after the break on Box to Box. Now, this is Box to Box. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The king of storage moving Absolutely fantastic! Welcome back to Box to Box. After a bumper first hour, Derek Dyson in the hot seat uh, while Edge uh, is in Bangkok for his final week before returning home. Dino's coaching Pasco Vale um, as the interim coach. So it's uh, it's Derek, Willem and Nigel on the buttons and myself. So Michael will be joining us to uh, talk about the AFC and uh, World Cup uh, uh, qualification draw this week, uh, a pretty favourable one for Australia. We're going to talk about the various uh, big leagues that are kicking off over the next few weeks. We might be enduring one of, um, well, uh, yet again, longest off-seasons in the history of uh, international sport before the A-League kicks off again later in the year, but uh, uh, the, the big European competitions are all starting. We're hanging out for those and stoppage time, of course. So, Willem, you've got a pile of news. Where are you going to start us off, man? We'll start with Socceroos and Pararoos Central for the Green and Gold Army, Rob. Support the Oliroos in Thailand as they look to qualify for the 2020 Olympics with the Green and Gold Army. Now, as we spoke last week, the Pararoos were leading Spain 2-0 in their third group match at the World Cup. And I can report that is how the score remained, so they chalked up their first win there. The Excellent. Pararoos, yep, they continued and had a second win a couple of days later and mm-hmm. rolled Thailand 5-0. There was a brace to Benny Roche and Connor Bunsen, Ben Atkins. And then on his 40th birthday, just before full-time, skipper David Barber netted uh, a goal. So, That's brilliant. And so, so just to recap for those who may have missed the last few weeks, we've been covering the Pararoos um, at the uh, the Paralympic uh, or the uh, the World Cup for uh, for cerebral palsy and acquired brain injury players, uh, and some just quality football played by those fellows and uh, around the world. So, so great news that after a bit of a scratchy start, that the, that the fellows have got a, the campaign back on track. Following the tie game, Rob, there was another one. They played Germany. They unfortunately went down 2-1. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when we speak this time next week, the campaign will have concluded. They'll be The Pararoos will be playing Canada for 11th place. Excellent. Robbie Cruz could be lured back to former club Melbourne Victory, with Marco Kurz looking to make him one of his first signings. 30-year-old Cruz has looked likely to leave Bochum in Germany for some time, and a homecoming to Victory is a possibility, where he played 47 matches from 2009 to 2011. Craig Goodwin won't play for Adelaide United next season, having signed with Saudi side Al Weida. Adelaide are believed to have offered Goodwin the captain's armband to remain at the club. Instead, they'll receive $450,000 for his transfer. And Graham Arnold has insisted Mark Milligan is a crucial part of his World Cup qualifying plans, despite Milligan himself stating Arnold only sees him as a short-term proposition. Very interesting situation to have our national team captain playing at third-tier club Southend United. So we'll see how he goes. Yeah, well, look, uh, he's um, a guy that's... uh it's just done so much for the Socceroos over the the journey. He, um, you know, he bleeds uh, green and gold. Uh, the players respect him. The the coach uh, um, loves him. So we, uh, you know, when we we we're not um, uh, that deep these days, are we? With uh, with our um, 
our form uh, and um, and players in the, in the top flight competition. So, Derek, um, what's your take on something like that? Oh, look, I think it brings up a wider issue around when when players are retiring and, ma- and from international football and managing that. You know, I, I think players have just got to play under the assumption that they're going to continue playing. Um, you know, I think I think it creates a lot of uncertainty if if he's been told that this might be the end. I mean, I'm not quite sure what kind of motivation that that gives you to to keep playing international football with these tough schedules. So I think you know you've got to create a culture around uh, the Socceroos that everyone who's available should be available. I agree. Mm. I still think the Socceroos really need him. There's a bit of a leadership vacuum at the top with a couple of the guys who have left in the past 12 months. So I still think he has a massive role to play. The English FA have contacted Huddersfield Town after the club revealed a controversial home kit for the new season. A prominent sash, which reads the name of their new sponsor, betting company Paddy Power, disrupts Huddersfield's traditional blue and white stripes. It's believed it contravenes FA regulations. It's also believed in some quarters it's a bit of a wind-up. Derek, what do you make of this? Yeah, look, Paddy Power have got a lot of history with these kinds of wind-ups. Um, they, they've experimented with um, green jocks that the, uh, the likes of Nicholas Bentner and even uh, Floyd Mayweather Jr. have worn. They uh, cut down some of the Amazon rainforest uh, during the 2014 World Cup to spell Come On England from the air. I don't know what uh, environmentalists would think about that. A lot of it is tongue-in-cheek and uh, in a way it's commendable from a marketing perspective. But, you know, I think we're more worried about the degradation of the game in general, you know, not just um, sabotaging a classic kits like that Huddersfield one, but also just the fact that, again, it joins a long line of betting companies that are um, supporting and propping up some of these English teams. I think last year there were 17 out of the 24 championship teams were um, supported by betting companies. So I think there's a you know a wider issue at stake here. Yeah, and it's not just English football as well. It's uh, a, um, a pox on all of our houses, the, the fact that um, the international um, sporting bodies have allowed uh, sports betting companies to, to, uh, to, to pervade uh, the culture of sport so much so that uh, now um, you know young kids uh, when they talk about sport they talk about the odds as part of a uh, you know when when I was growing up mate the odds were about the horses and the and the um, the, the greyhounds and that sort of thing and uh, it's just a, a real shame that uh, that 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 sporting uh, administrators around the world have, have let this happen so yeah it's I agree it's time to fight back. Newcastle United have found their Rafael Benitez replacement with Steve Bruce appointed manager on a three-year deal. Bruce arrives to manage his boyhood club after a short stint at Sheffield Wednesday. Notably, he managed fierce rival Sunderland from 2009 to 20, uh, 2011. He's been a top-flight or an English manager since 1998, and interestingly, he's managed three significant uh, crosstown rivalries. He's managed at Sheffield United and Wednesday, Aston Villa and Birmingham City, and Sunderland and now Newcastle. Yeah, look. Um, apparently, Steve Bruce was number eleven on the uh, on the choice list for for Newcastle, and that included above him Sam Allardyce, who, of course, they infamously sacked when he thought he was going in to talk about a new player. Um, so that was a laughable. I'm sure Sam thought they were winding him up. Um, Bruce obviously is a hometown boy, and I think that that's you know Mike Ashley trying to appease the fans in some way. But this has been an underwhelming appointment from a Newcastle point of view. They've just lost a Champions League winning manager, you know, you know, helping them punch way above his weight. And you know, I've got a lot of time for Steve Bruce. I think he's one of the good guys in football. But whether he can generate results out of the team and the structure that that, that Newcastle have got, I'm not quite sure. And he's pedigree with uh, Sunderland as well. It's um... Isn't going to 
So less than a month ago, we were hearing that there was going to be a takeover that wasn't side sealed and delivered, was extremely close to a member of the, the same family who owns a Manchester City group. Um, and now we're seeing Steve Bruce appointed. There seems to be a serious disparity between the heights they were looking to achieve and where they're now sort of seeing themselves. I feel sorry for the Newcastle fans. I know a, a lot, a lot of people them. say it. Yeah, you go from thinking that you're going to be in the big time with the big the big bucks and, and then suddenly you, you lose Benitez and then you sell your best player for... 30 million to Leicester and then Steve you know I hope Steve Bruce does a good job not just for himself but for those fans as well but um, when I'm handing in my Premier League predictions to Dino uh, a little later I'll certainly <laughs> be it will be reflected uh, Newcastle's position will be reflected certainly. With the big European leagues just a couple of weeks away the transfer uh, market is in full swing and one of the hottest properties is off the market with Matthias De Ligt officially uh, signing with Juventus. De Ligt has been with Ajax since the age of nine. He became the club's youngest captain and led them to the Champions League semi-finals this season, coincidentally knocking out Juventus on the way. He's achieved a lot at that club uh, just by just 19 years of age. Juventus initially wanted to pay 80 million Australian. They've upped that to 130 million. This is a massive deal. Yeah, this is a massive deal. And I'm sure, you know, for, you know, Australian uh, listeners, you know, these figures are mind-boggling when you compare it to to, to our domestic sports here. Um, but this is a fairly typical number now. Even, and look, for a 19-year-old, uh, he's got proven pedigree. He had played in that fantastic Ajax side. And I think it's a huge coup for Juventus to beat off the biggest clubs in Europe for his signature. Kieran Trippier looks set to depart Tottenham and head to, to depart Tottenham and head to Atletico Madrid on a $35 million deal. He arrived at Spurs in 2015 for just $8.5 million and was contracted to 2022. So I think that's a really good piece of business for Tottenham. Uh, notably, Derek, he's a senior England international playing outside of the Premier League. That seems healthy to me. There's not enough, uh, if you like, different styles of football that the English players are seeing. So maybe this is a step in the right direction to have a little bit of variety in the England setup. Yeah, I think so. I think the likes of Jaden Sancho, most yep. notably at uh, Borussia Dortmund, has shown that English players can thrive outside the Premier League. And while the Premier League has been a magnet for players from all over the world, English players don't generally uh, go too well. Um, didn't have a great season, Trippier, last year. A bit of a hangover maybe from the World Cup and his performances there. Um, but this is a really interesting signing. And Atletico are a fabulous club. So he's leaving Tottenham, who are doing great things. But this is a fabulous team he's joining. And we'll just come back locally for the final story. Marco Kurz has a serious job on his hands at Melbourne Victory immediately. Terry Antonis looks set to uh, agree to a multi-year deal at Suwon Blue Wings in Korea. That leaves Kurz and Victory with just 11 senior listed players. Now, that's not so much of a problem with the A-Leg still a couple of months away, but the Victory have an FFA Cup match in less than 20 days' time. Uh, so he's going to have to pull from the reserves or pull in a couple of signings very quickly. Can't make a substitution as it stands, Rob. Just 11 players. Okay. Well, Marco Kurz, welcome to Melbourne. <laughs> All right, boys, good start. Um, so, Michael, we're going to talk to him next about um, the Socceroos draw for the early stages of the World Cup and the AFC uh, in uh, China in a couple of years' time. So that's going to be an interesting conversation because uh, uh, we know how much he loves his travelling. And uh, I think um, from his uh, Green and Gold Army persuasion, uh, he uh, he may have missed the boat on a couple of exotic destinations that he was hoping for, like, you know, sort of Maldives and, uh, and one or two other joints. So let's, let's see how he's reacted to it. But more importantly, let's get his take on, uh, on how the Socceroos are going to go. OK, so that's next after the break on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The king of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. 
This is Box to Box, and he's almost home from his international odyssey, Michael Edgley. And what could be more appropriate for a man who has been all over the Women's World Cup to uh, make his uh, final chat before he comes home about the Men's World Cup edge? Uh, the uh, the first phase of the qualification was announced. So we have uh, Jordan, Chinese Taipei, Kuwait and Nepal. Yes, Rob. Um, I think the first thing to acknowledge is that I'm certain that Tim Cahill will be invited back to do every uh, future AFC draw because he has just, in terms of the wider context of Asian football, mm. he's drawn some amazing derbies in these groups. And we'll, we'll mm-hmm. go through that in, in a moment, but... Um, um, for those people who, like me, uh, obviously watched the draw, he had most of the audience in uh, in hysterics the entire the entire time the balls were being pulled out because of the teams that were in each group. And mm. we'll do that a little later, but let's still obviously focus on what's um, pressing, which is Australia's draw. We've obviously drawn Jordan, Chinese, Taipei, Kuwait and Nepal. Uh, just for everybody who's uh, out there who doesn't understand, there is eight groups of... Um, of five teams. Uh, obviously, each team plays eight matches, home and away, four matches at home, four matches away. Australia, to get through to the next phase of qualification, will either need to top the group or finish one of the four best runners-up. And, and it's also a dual qualification, so it's not only qualification for the second phase of uh, the Qatar 22 World Cup, but it's also qualification for the Asian Cup in China in 2023. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, uh, very important fixtures, and we all start uh, with an away match against uh, Jordan, uh, which is actually probably going to be very, very critical. So um, I think it's actually not the easiest of draws. I think um, there's a couple of items to note. Uh, Kuwait, uh, they have been suspended for the last four years, so they come back into uh, World Cup qualification um, with a very, very low ranking. They normally would have been in pot two. Um, So Kuwait's actually... Uh, an interesting one for Australia. I know we went there recently. Uh, Graham Arnold's first match with the Socceroos was a 4 0 win at Kuwait, but they really were playing a. And that's our, and that's our, first, uh, most of their our first match on the 10th of September. Um, so uh, to go to Kuwait, um, it, it's a, you know, it could be something of a banana peel. I mean, uh, you know, these teams always step up, and, and the first match in qualifying uh, is never easy. Well, the weather will still be hot uh, at that time of the year. It's probably good we got them early because I'm expecting Kuwait to get better as the uh, as this sort of qualification phase unfolds. Uh, but it becomes a really critical game because we, we want to get a win. I, I mean, it's really important that uh, the away games against Jordan and Kuwait, we at least get a clean sheet and then sort of win every other fixture to top the group. Um, uh, Jordan, as we know, they beat us at uh, the Asian Cup uh, fairly comfortably and... Um, uh, when they're on, they're on. They're a good team. When they're not, they're, they're pretty poor. We beat them in Australia in the last phase of qualification, 5-0. So, um, you know, there is um, some banana skins here, but you would expect this to go through, remembering that the Socceroos are a team in transition. So mm. very difficult. I just might add, Rob, before you ask the next question, what's really interesting is just that the way the fixtures fall for Australia. We've got a, we, we do have a good... Um, a pretty good draw in terms of mm. that we have a lot of uh, the games, uh, single games on FIFA weekends. Uh, but we do have towards the end of the qualification quite a tricky um, process. Uh, we actually play um, Kuwait at home on a Thursday and then we'll go to Nepal mm. and play in Kathmandu at, on, in altitude on a Tuesday. So you'd expect us to really defeat Nepal, but that's probably the trickiest 
the trickiest uh, sort of um, logistical challenge the team's going to have. That's in March of next year. And obviously, um, we finish up with two home games uh, against Chinese Taipei um, and Jordan on, on the Thursday, the 4th of June, and Tuesday, the 9th of June. And now, probably our first fixture in the Copper America will be on the 12th of June. So, a, a tough time for the Socceroos coming up. It'll be interesting to see what happens, but um, I'm expecting us to go through um, in the top two comfortably, but we, we, we would really want to top the group for sure. Hey, Jess, Derek here. How are you? I'm really well, Derek. I hope you're enjoying uh, uh, your time in there. Um, you've got a, a great weekend of Premier League action. I'm sure you've been keeping up with all the action uh, in Australia, those Premier League clubs uh, down there, and uh, Leeds. Uh, I understand there was a bit of a fracas at the Optus Stadium. I, I'm assuming you've talked about that. Yeah, we have. Um, and yeah, look, it is an exciting time right now for Australian fans who are uh, starved of seeing, you know, English teams and, and, and teams that they support from afar. Um, going back to the, the World Cup qualifying, I'm quite interested in Nepal, actually. I don't actually know that much about them as a team. You just mentioned that, that, that there's an altitude factor, but how much do you know about them? And, and are they going to pose any you know serious threat or surprise in this group? I don't think there'll be any threat at all. Um, they, they've squeaked through the third, what is the um, preliminary phase of qualification. It's a fantastic achievement for them to get through to this phase. But they they had some good results. And believe it or not, they um, they had a triangular friendly series, uh, which they which Kuwait was one of the teams. And against Kuwait, they had a, a draw and a 1-0 loss. So you would expect them to be OK. I mean, any team that gets through to this phase of qualification in the Asian groups uh, have done their work to date. Um, so they've been improving, and they do um, they do have some good results at home because it's altitude. It's a pretty... Um, I understand the pitch is not so great. So you, you, you can imagine in Kathmandu what that will be like. It'll be a very interesting trip for the Australians to go there, and um, that's late in the, in the process. And like I said, they won't have any time to acclimatise. They'll basically probably arrive and play two days after they arrive. So uh, that will be a tricky fixture, but I'm not really expecting the pool to to get too many scalps. Um, I think they'll be used this as a bit of a learning experience for their first time in this phase of qualification. But um, expect it to be interesting. There's no doubt about that. doesn't sound like it's going to be a mountain to climb for Australia, that's for sure. Um, Hang on, give him a pregnant pause. Allow him to digest your very funny remark. <laughs> that was good, Derek. I'm, I'm impressed. <laughs> so it will be no We're thinking about a day to it or whatever, but um, I understand that it's a bit challenging. <laughs> exactly. What about some of the... Obviously, the draw threw up lots of other stuff and a lot of ge- ge- geopolitical stuff, Edge. You know, with uh, neighbours and not-so-friendly neighbours playing with each other, there's there's bound to be a few tasty tied ties just across this uh, campaign, won't well, there? Well, there is some fascinating fixtures. Um, I think that the, the first one to talk about is Group G. So um, this is what got the uh, the officials in the, the official draw pretty... Um, laughing and carrying on because Vietnam, Thailand, Malaysia and Indonesia were all drawn in the same group. So this, and they are basically the um, big heroes of Southeast Asian football, all drawn in the same group. They played each other regularly in... Uh, they have a, a Gold Cup-type tournament which uh, for Southeast Asian football. Um, so they're all intense rivals. And the outlier in that group is the UAE, which won't have it all, all their own way. We saw in... Uh, in the UAE, the Asian Cup, Vietnam and Thailand make really good roads. Malaysia is not without its football pedigree. Indonesia, anything's possible with the rabid crowds they get at home. So so that's a really interesting group, Vietnam, Thailand, Malaysia and Indonesia all drawn together. But what about some of the other fixtures? Let's just go through them a little bit. Group C, Iran and Iraq in the same group. We know how 
significant rivals they are. That's amazing that they're joining the same group. But it actually gets better than that. Um, Saudi Arabia and Yemen, who are officially at war in the same group, that will be an interesting fixture when the Saudis go down to play Yemen. Yemen, remember, Yemen uh, qualified for the first the first Asian Cup uh, in January this year, so that'll be interesting. And the other one that I'm really looking forward to is uh, not a fixture that'll be um, that great for quality football, but I'm expecting Bangladesh and India mm. to create some um, some drama and uh, and highlights. And, and and what about the big one in Group H? Yeah. Um, Korea Republic and North Korea drawn together for the first time ever in World mm, Cup qualification. Mm. That is going to be fascinating. So there's some incredible stories that will unfold through this phase of qualification, uh, not least, uh, obviously, North and South Korea uh, playing a home and away league against each other. So I guess the big question is, Edge, in recent times, um, you know, we are a national program. Uh, Sydney um, has uh, had the better of... Um, the uh, the Socceroos fixtures. Uh, uh, what what do we know about the deals that are in place and, and expectations of, of where these uh, games are likely to be played and when are we going to find out? I think there's a couple of uh, years to go on the on the arrangement that the federation has with uh, Destination New South Wales or the New South Wales government. So expect Sydney to probably get the lion's share of them. The Nepalese community in Australia is pretty mm. uh, pretty significant. So I'm mm. expecting that to be be uh, a great fixture at home oh, wherever sure is it. Well, when we, uh, we, I also we, expect that well, well I was just going to say we had a, um, a carer for little Alexander last night who um, when I got home she's Nepalese a very proud Nepalese young woman and uh, and, uh, and I said, have a look at this. And she, the moment I told her, she grabbed her, her phone, put the date in her calendar, uh, 10th of October, and uh, and said she was going to get on the phone straight away. And no matter where they were playing in Australia, she was going to be there. Yeah, that's right. And I think Nepalese community is pretty strong. As is the Chinese Taipei community, the Taiwan community. Mm. I'm expecting that to be pretty well uh, pretty well supported too. So there's some interesting fixtures. I mean, we love a game against Jordan. Um, we owe them one. So um, I'm expecting an avalanche of goals that night when we play them at home, but um, they're really uh, interesting fixtures. And, and I mean, when we first entered Asia, we had some pretty easy fixtures in the mm-hmm. phase of qualification. I'm not expecting that to be the case. I'm expecting us to have to do some work to get through. If we just run them through them, obviously, we, the away game against Kuwait kicks off our campaign on the 10th of September, uh, a Tuesday. We then play Nepal at home on Thursday, the 10th of October. We travel to Chinese Taipei on Tuesday, 15 October. Um, so that sort of that double, um, you know, we're playing two matches on that FIFA calendar break on the Thursday and the Tuesday. Then we play Jordan away um, on the 14th of November, which is a great time of the year to be travelling to the Middle East. It'll be uh, much cooler for the Australians. Uh, uh, that's a that's a good time of the year to be playing Jordan. That'll be a hostile environment. Uh, Australia versus Kuwait on the 26th of March next year on a Thursday. We then travel to Nepal on a Tuesday uh, at altitude at Kathmandu. All the Australian tourists will, will uh, no doubt, uh, the ones that go there trekking, it's a good time of the year, so I'm expecting uh, a few Australians to be uh, in the crowd that night. And then we finish off with two home games on Thursday the 4th of June against Chinese Taipei and Tuesday the 9th of June against Jordan. It all could all come down, uh, the battle for top place to that last game on the 9th of June uh, in, uh, against uh, Jordan, and uh, you would expect that to be in Sydney. Excellent, Joe. Well, as always, mate, we expected you to be across it in, uh, in uh, forensic detail, and you are. We are looking forward to seeing you back home next week. Um, have you back in the studio again? And uh, oh, I missed I missed the other derby too. Three deaths. Can I talk about the other derby quickly? <laughs> well, let's get up to be quick. Yeah, fine. Right away. up your alley, Rob. Uh, 
Hey, uh, okay, uh, group F Derby. Tajikistan. Of course. Who wants to get in Group F? Yeah, of course. And, um, all and, of Australia uh, will be uh, on the edge of their seats. That's right. All the West, all the West Asians. So, um, Tim Cahill, do you think he? Uh, do you think he's got the hands of gold that he's uh, delivered all these fantastic fixtures for Asian qualification? Yeah. Well, it looks like he has. So. Uh, um, he um, he's given us a pretty good draw, so um, you know, Timmy, he delivers. He's the gift so that keeps missed, on giving. Missed, what about the tourism destinations Australia could have gone to? We yeah. missed the Maldives. Yeah. We missed Guam. Oh, yeah. uh, we missed. Uh, would have been great to go to Hong Kong. Mm, we missed yeah. that. We missed. Uh, believe it or not, we missed Singapore. We missed uh, Afghanistan. Uh, obviously, all the Asian destinations. This is his green and gold army. Yeah. So it wasn't. We, we didn't get. We didn't. That's right. We're going to have to get on the road, aren't we? Oh, exactly. Well, mate, people do like to go to Nepal. Sorry, Derek, you're going to I was say... going to say, I think Tim did a great job, but I'm not sure that the UN will think that he's done a great job. And, <laughs> um... Well, maybe they will. He might be the big peacemaker. Gentlemen, we are going to wrap it up here because if we do, we're, um, we're, going, to, um, we're going to talk all night. So, Edge, um, safe travelling back home. Um, we'll, um, we'll see you back in the studio next week. See you in the studio next week, Rob. Excellent, mate. Michael Edgeley. Our regular co-host back from his uh, his big jaunt overseas uh, until the next big jaunt. Now stick around because uh, Willem and uh, Derek and I are going to start to take a look at, at the way the uh, the big competitions are shaping in Europe. The championship um, kicks off in three weeks' time. The Premier League, the league, league on uh, then um, the Bundesliga. So it's all happening over the next month. So we're going to uh, go through that um, after the break on Box to Box. Box to Box. The Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the king of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial box. Uh, will only be a couple of weeks. We're waiting uh, with um, bated breath before the um, the big competitions start. But the first of them uh, is the championship. So I got a sense that um, this Leeds trip could have been so much more. Um, if they had have uh, been able to knock off Dino's derby and um, and and go all the way uh, and and be playing uh, in Australia as a warm up to a return to the Premier League, so let's start off with them, Derek. Um, the Championship's the first of the big competitions. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Leeds uh, they didn't look at all impressive against Manchester United uh, on Wednesday night. Um, they were pretty much dismantled four um, nil. Yeah, what's your thinking on the championship and and the likely make-up with the the sides that have have dropped back uh, the relegated teams from the Premier League? I think Leeds are very similar to Newcastle United in many ways because they they had a manager or have a manager that sort of belies their status, um, you know, with Rafa when he was at Newcastle. So I think Leeds have done well to keep hold of Bielsa. I actually, I'm confident that he can put a run together this year and, and I mm-hmm. think Leeds will actually go up as champions. This is an early prediction mm-hmm. from me. And they, they've not lost too many players. They've, they've sold the, the lad to uh, Legion, uh, sorry, to, to Tottenham, but they're getting him back. But it's a young Clark. team. Yeah. That's this a young team, um, you know, and I think that's what they're going to rely on again in some loan signings. They've got a quite an interesting fixture in the first weekend away at Bristol City, who of course were one of the sort of late runners into the the charge into the um, to the playoffs last year. So I expect Leeds to be up there, um, and I'm thinking in terms of the relegated teams. I'm interested to see how Huddersfield do. They didn't really change their team in the Premier League, so mm. if they they keep that squad together, theoretically they can do some stuff. Um, Fulham have obviously got a star-studded squad for this for this level. They've mm. spent heavily and whether or not they're going to have to shed a few players to 
to to to get back to the challenges of the championship we don't know but i think it will be the usual suspects to be honest with you i think we could uh, you know west brom and nottingham forest uh toe-to-toe on the opening day of the uh, season with a uh, an evening kickoff and i'm sure um, dino will have a, a keen eye on that and they could be a few of the the runners and riders uh, too. So look, I think a, a lot of the usual names, and of course, again, a very competitive league. And so to um, skip over to the Premier League, uh, obviously the next few weeks we'll be digging into that um, great competition uh, in a lot more detail. But uh, uh, are we seeing any contenders for the title other than uh, than City, Three Pete, and Liverpool trying to knock them off? I think Tottenham, I think they're strengthening their team. They've kept their manager. Ericsson actually hasn't gone yet, which is mm. very interesting because you'd have thought that he, you know, he, he was re- he was ready to leave. So I expect Tottenham with a full season in their new stadium with new signings. I think after that, you're going to struggle. Manchester United, um, they're making some, some signings and they will be stronger uh, next season. But... Um, you know, Chelsea under Lampard, um, transitional season for them, and, and uh, we've already covered Arsenal, so we don't need to do that again. I agree with you largely, Derek. However, I do think the big wild card could be Chelsea under Lampard. Yeah. Is the job a bridge too far for him? Not too sure. Maybe he'll he'll slot right back into the club. He's only been out of there a couple of seasons and get them humming along nicely. I think they could jump into that top three. But other than that, I agree with you. I think... my, my wild card um, is one of my team's. Wolves. Wolves. Yeah. Well, look, they they, they took apart Newcastle. Uh, they uh, they shocked everybody. They got their own little taste of Europe. Um, uh, anything could happen. Uh, I'm just thinking there's a chance that they could make a run at Champions League uh, um, contention. That's uh, that's I don't think unrealistic. And I think Leicester under Brendan Rodgers, um, we could be seeing some good things uh, from them as well. I agree with that to a certain extent. Um, I think more contention for Europa mm. League places. I think with potentially. Arsenal struggling, possibly mm. Chelsea struggling this season, but also don't rule out Everton as well. They're making some mm. decent noise in the transfer window as well. Andre Gomez has come in as a, obviously on loan last season, but he's just been um, signed full time and eight million for Fabian Delph. I mean that is a fantastic mm. piece of business. He's an mm. England international. Mm-hmm. He's not going to be setting the Premier League on fire, but that's a solid signing. And mm-hmm. and, and look, Everton are you know could be there. And uh, Real Madrid, um, we um, still expect them to uh, to be the uh, the form team in La Liga. But um, yeah, Barcelona, they, they, all the talks about Neymar leaving um, PSG. Hmm. Yeah, Neymar's kicking up a serious fuss. We saw that. Um, yeah, he wasn't inter- too interested in playing for PSG. And now we've also seen Philip Coutinho arcing up. So there's a couple of big players. And Gareth Bale as well could also well, be on the way out. Yeah, well, yeah, just there's a lot of talk and not a lot of moves. So there's three very big fish that seem to switch between those very big clubs that could still have a big bearing on, on wherever they go, how the seasons play out. Yeah, well, look, sometimes the tectonic plates of transfers, you know, you just need one to move and yep. then all of the others start moving. I think with um, Real Madrid, interestingly, they've got a project um, that they've dubbed Operation 200, which mm. I think alludes to trying to raise 200 million euros that they're going to need to purchase Paul Pogba from Manchester United. And to do that, they're looking at selling Hamas Rodriguez and, and Gareth Bale. And Bale, obviously, a target for Manchester United had perennially. Tottenham may also be interested. I think um, Barcelona will certainly be stronger this season with um, obviously the signing of Luke de Jong, um, um, also um, Frankie de Jong, sorry, but also um, the signing eventually uh, of um, Griezmann 
Um, and obviously there's still some dispute going on there. We mentioned Atletico as well earlier, obviously with Trippier, but they're still a really decent side. Uh, Jao Felix has obviously signed for them as well, and I think they'll they'll be competitive. I think it will be the usual suspects in Serie, um, sorry, in uh, La Liga, and um, you know I still think uh, Barcelona will come up uh, on top on that one. I think Hazard, of course, will be very interesting at Real Madrid as well. The Bundesliga, um, always uh, a competition that uh, uh, we we pay close attention to, given the uh, you know regular Australian presence. Um, the Euros are about a year away. Um, the Germans uh, still licking their wounds after um, the ignominious um, way they exited the the World Cup in Russia. You you would think that that competition is going to be one to pay uh, some pretty close attention to, as uh, they sort of try to get their pride back. I think the biggest story here, gents, is obviously this is for the first season for Bayern Munich without two very, very significant players in their starting lineup, the axis of yeah. Robin and Ribéry, who have mm-hmm. both moved on from the club. Um, and obviously they, they haven't looked to, they're looking to replace those players. I know Mane, uh, um, sorry, the, the guy from uh, Manchester City, um, uh, Leroy Sane, Sane sorry, Sane. not Sane, um, you know, he's on their watch list and they've lost Hummels and he's gone to Dortmund in one of the most, you know, bizarre, again, signings. It makes a lot mm. of sense because Hummels came to prominence at, um, at Dortmund and then Dortmund have actually poached him back and Dortmund ran Bayern Munich very close last season. They just kind of mm. wheels fell off at the end and they've kept the majority of their squad. So I expect um, Dortmund to push uh, Bayern very close this year and possibly even win it. And it would be good to see a different team uh, win that tournament. It'll be interesting to see. I know we briefly touched on uh, on PSG, but they they just go ahead and win again. But how long does Kylian Mbappe stay there? I mean, is is this project to win the Champions League realistic? Uh, if Neymar leaves, uh, uh, it seems to me that um, there's only so much uh, appeal for a player of his caliber to stay at um, you know a one you know. I mean, I, I don't want to insult the competition, but it's uh, it's it's at the moment a one club competition, and uh, uh, and he uh, you know his his pedigree skills um, demand that he plays at a high level yeah I, I agree with that and and Mbappe I think will be loyal because he's young and French but again the law of going to one of the big Spanish or Italian or Premier League teams has certainly got to be a factor not helping the French league is the fact that Lyon one of the more competitive French clubs last season mm. are being raided now for some of their players in a yeah. cycle that we saw with Monaco the year before who mm had a fantastic team that that, that, that that did good things in the Champions League and, and in the French yeah. League. But that's the pattern at the moment in France, that um, PSG stay at the top because of the money mm. and the other teams try and get something together and then get raided by PSG and other and, and other teams. Um, I think it's unrealistic for PSG to win the Champions League this season with or without Neymar. Mm. Reasons that are well documented. The lack of competitiveness in the French League is a huge problem. Uh, and they just don't seem to sign the right players, ultimately. They, mm. en- they end up signing sort of flashy players rather than, um, you know, high high quality uh, you know, more rugged or, or tactical players. Herrera is a good one for them from Manchester United for free. But um, yeah, not 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 seeing them winning uh, the Champions League this year. No, so uh, well, I'm skip over to the African Cup of Nations before we wrap up. We talked to Yusuf Abdi from uh, an Algerian perspective in the first hour. So um, so uh, yeah, just give us uh, your observations on how this final is going to play out. 
I'll just quickly run through the results. So since we last spoke, we were waiting for the last two semis. So we had Senegal and Tunisia. Senegal got up 1-0 thanks to a Dylan Bron own goal in the 100th minute, although that was down to some sloppy goalkeeping. We also had Algeria against Nigeria. William Trustekong scored his second own goal of the tournament to help Algeria through 2-1 with Odia Nagalo scoring for Nigeria, but Riyad Mahrez getting the job done in the 95th minute to see Algeria through. In the third-placed playoff, it was Odia Nagalo in the third minute who helped Nigeria to a 1-0 win over Tunisia. That brings us to the final. We have Senegal against Algeria. Senegal, uh, Algeria have won once before in 1990. A decade earlier, they finished second in 1980 in their only mm-hmm. other finals appearance. And Senegal have never won the tournament. They did finish second in 2002. Uh, I really think it could go either way, Rob. Both sides have... Star-studded lineups, particularly up front with Sadio Mane for Senegal mm. and Riyad Mahrez for Algeria. And just finally to the goal scorers, Odin Agallo of Nigeria with five goals has pulled away. He looks likely to take the golden boot ahead of Adam Wunus, Cedric Bakumbu, Riyad Mahrez and Sadio Mane who all have three goals apiece. Excellent wrap-up. All right, before we go, I want to talk to you about Storage King because they are the kings of storage moving and more and uh, a wonderful sponsor of our program. If you're moving, selling, shifting, renting, if you've got a business, you're running out of space, you need to store your goods, you just got to ring Storage King. 1-800-STORAGE is the number, but probably better off is to jump onto the website storageking.com.au and you'll find your nearest store in uh, the ACT, New South Wales, Queensland, South Australia, Victoria, WA, they are all over Australia. The kings of storage moving and more. They're the kings of people as well. And one thing's for sure is you will not get a better deal than with Storage King. Gentlemen, we have stoppage time coming up. Um, it's been a great show so far. So um, strap yourself in. We've probably got a couple of minutes left to uh, digest um, the, uh, the dregs of uh, football this week. So uh, that uh, is all coming up after the break. Box to box. For Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the king of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. This is stoppage time. The fourth official gives us seven minutes to uh, steer this ship home. Um, before we do, the one thing we never want to uh, bury the lead on is uh, our great supporter, Chemist Warehouse, the great guys there. Mario Tascani, Rutine Farakawa, Sam Gantz, Jack Gantz. Mario Barocchi, Elias Barbalus. I'm naming all the big names at head office, but the people that make it happen are in the stores, and that's where you've got to go to find out what's going on in the July catalogue, which is out right now. The big, big savings, 50% off cosmetics, cold and flu, vitamins, weight loss, volot. Make sure you get into Chemist Warehouse and save some more. Why pay more? Gentlemen, why not talk some more football? Yeah, one thing that's caught my eye throughout the week, Rob, is that Ravel Morrison has found himself back in the Premier League. He signed a one-year deal with Sheffield United. Okay, so let's let's um, go back to Ravel Morrison's early days. Um, between you and Derek, uh, you know all about it. So 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 far, he's the the story of of unfulfilled genius, isn't he? As well as you said earlier, uh, Derek, it feels like he's been around forever. He was at Manchester United, where Alex Ferguson labelled him one of the best 14-year-olds he's ever seen, and subsequently one of his greatest regrets that it didn't work. He's really fallen off the radar. He's gone down the ladder, if you like. West Ham, Birmingham, QPR, Cardiff, Mexico, Lazio, Ostersund in Sweden. He's still only 26, so he might have grown up a little bit and could still turn it all around. I think this is one of those stories, as you said, of the unfulfilled potential, and we do get these from time to time in, in football 
Um, I've seen Ravel Morrison play. He's undoubtedly a, a hugely gifted player, extremely quick. Um, he The way that he can manoeuvre his body and just leaves defenders completely bemused about what's just happened and he and he's gone as you said Alex Ferguson in his in one of his books said that it's a real pity because he'd never seen someone that was so talented but yet was so haunted by his past and his upbringing um uh, wasn't a particularly a particularly good one and as a result you know once he actually gets off the pitch that's where some of the problems have started in the past mm-hmm. and we're listening to his former uh, teammate Kevin Nolan uh, this week at West Ham talking about him, um, about how, you know, he'd just disappear for days, you know, just would literally turn his mobile phone off and you wouldn't hear from him for a week. So pretty much unmanageable. And as you've seen, he's had this kind of nomadic existence, you know, as far as Mexico and Sweden. Uh, I really like the idea of him back in the Premier League. Sheffield United feels like a good good fit for for Morrison like it's a good standard of football for him but Chris Wilder could be the just the man to 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 get him in the right place and if he did get it together the you know he's been on the uh, the English national team radar since uh, his early days he's, he's played for the under 16 17s 18s and 21s so you know that mercurial uh, player that uh, that um most of the great teams need uh, that we saw with France with Mbappe and Pogba um and um and uh, Griezmann as well. Uh, the, the, he's he's just got that X factor. You know who he looks a little bit like. Who's that, Rob? Nick Kyrgios. Oh, you think? I, I think there's not not every picture, but there is a picture. So hopefully, if Ravel Morrison can um, can get his career back uh, yeah. on track, that he might be an example to our very own wild child. Well, there's another unfulfilled talent who's. Uh... Yeah, looking like it could go a little bit that way. Still time for both of them, though. Still yeah, only. Yeah, I think it's a good signing for Sheffield United because you know they've come up with a very tight squad and not a lot of um, not not a lot of uh, uh, flashy players. So I think he'll be able to fill that gap and might actually be able to unlock some Premier League defences next season. All right. Well, let's wait and see what happens. Now, Derek, uh, you've got a quirky story to to wrap this um, this uh, thing up. Um, Steve Bruce, uh, we know of his um, pedigree as a, uh, a footballing um, manager, mm-hmm. but he also has an interesting pastime in his spare time. Yeah, he um, he writes crime novels, and he's written several. <laughs> one of them is called Striker, I believe, and another one called Defender, and it, he, he writes these, these sort of crime novels with a, a footballing theme. I remember one of the quotes... Um, you know, was uh, the the policeman sly tackling uh, the 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 criminal in in the changing rooms to take mm. him down and what have you. So yeah, that, these, if if he these... doesn't if he doesn't uh, make it at um, at Newcastle, then I feel like a long and, and successful novel writing career is ahead. And do we know if these books are aimed at children or if they're aimed at fellow sixty year old Geordies? So, so Bruce, uh, this is from the Sun, an appropriate. Um, Red Top 2, to give you a little bit of background on this. Uh, the books uh, Bruce himself called a laughing stock are semi-autobiographical. The lead character is honestly called Steve Barnes, and the plots and literature itself may be laughable too. However, somehow they've become cult classics that have fetched up to £200 on eBay and Amazon if you can find one. The first novel originally cost £12, was, the, as you say, 127-page striker, written in the first person. It puts you straight into the action of Barnes, manager of the fictitious... Ledison Town, a small historic club aiming for Premier League uh, promotion. So sounds a little bit like um, 
Roy of the Rovers in reverse. So, you know, suspected of murder, he has to clear his name. So he inexplicably decides to launch his own investigation while juggling his football career. Faced with Irish mobsters, he becomes a, a target for a sniper. It doesn't sound like such a bad story. He sat there and wrote 127 pages and then called it laughable. Yeah. He got it back in his own ability a bit more. Yeah, I think so. It, um... <laughs> <laughs> Good on you, Nigel. So, um, Stevie Bruce, hopefully he has more success managing uh, Liverpool than he did um, as an author. Gentlemen, thank you. Uh, Willem, great work. Nigel on the buttons. Derek, it's been a real pleasure, mate. I hope you've uh, enjoyed, um, you know, uh, purging your soul. Yeah, I have been. It was, it was great talking to Marcus. It was good talking about Arsenal and the, the season coming up and, yes, having a bit of um, uh, fun with... Um, with, with Steve Bruce as well. I've got a I've got a quote here, and I don't know if uh, Nigel can just put a little bit of music lifted from the great Steve Barnes from from Sweeper. Um, as I looked around the stadium and sighed, football is a business and a tough one at that. But the green playing area, well, that really is the field of dreams. Ah, oh, Steve, going beautifully, Steve. Why didn't he make it? <laughs> well, gentlemen, on that note, we're going to leave it for another week when we go around the world from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.